he likes me. Welcome to Dr. Stu's Podcast. It's Dr. Stu and Dr. Stu's Podcast here with Kimberly Durden for podcast number 95. Thank you for listening. You can catch us on iTunes. Give us five stars. You can uh, look, uh, pull us up on drstuespodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Dr. Fishbein. Or like us on Facebook. You can go to my website at birthinginstincts.com. You can check out Kimmy's website at... <laughs> KimberlyDurden.com. Right. So um, you can also email us with comments or questions. Uh, the email is askdoctor, that's D-R-Stu, S-T-U, at gmail.com. We hope that you uh, will email us when we have emails that I respond. I respond to every single one of them. Sometimes their topics are... Uh, uh, we bring them up on the podcasts. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, Kimberly's uh, iPhone. <laughs> she had a trailer. She has a tractor trailer that she pulls behind her car for the size of her phone. <laughs> it's, it makes me. I have phone envy right now. Yeah, phone envy. Her he's phone like, is sitting next to my phone. He's like, is your phone bigger than my phone? Well, your phone is a lot bigger than my phone. <laughs> it's like I've never seen a phone quite so big as your phone. It's like my iPad is about that big. How do you fit that in your pocket anyway? I don't put it in my pocket. I put it in my giant bag. But the truth of the matter is, the beauty of this phone is number one, I'm I'm needing my reading glasses a lot, so it helps oh, to have, have the, that big have screen. Yeah, I I think <laughs> I did that too. And then also I have um, a program on here, a medical records program, uh, mobile midwife. I'm kind of giving oh, them right, a shout right. out a little bit, right? But it's so it's on there, so it's so much easier to see all that stuff on that bigger phone. Oh yeah, my God, I couldn't imagine doing it on a regular phone. Yeah, and on a regular phone, when I see regular. Well, personally, phones I like couldn't yours. imagine doing it at all because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a big electronic health records fan. As a matter of fact, electronic health records, I have very strong opinions about. Uh, there's never been a any evidence to show it improves outcomes, and uh, it's cost people millions and millions of dollars to install them, and then you have to buy software updates. You do. You and do. you're 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 stuck kind of like uh, when you buy Quicken or any other program, you know, within a year or two, your program that you spent $70 on is obsolete. Yep. And then you have to buy another update and upgrade. And, you, you know, in the office setting, you actually have to send your staff to seminars that cost money <laughs> in order to keep up with the coding and with up the uh, uh, all the software updates. So uh, not only that, but it's a way for... for uh, insurance companies and governments to keep tabs on what you're doing. Yeah. And uh, there have been many reports of doctors who bought these things based on credits given to them by the government uh, under the Obamacare uh, mandate, mm -hmm. who now the uh, now that the luster has worn off and Obamacare needs money, Medicare is coming back and asking for their, uh, their um, what do they call them, stipends, I guess, back. What? And Yeah, and not only that... But they're they're auditing these people and finding and everybody puts coding errors in. Everybody upgrades a little bit. Right. We talked about this before on the podcast. That I think that every single day in every single office and every single hospital around the country, there's fraud committed, whether it's intentional or unintentional. Right. You know, you know. I guess I guess unless you're James Comey of the FBI, it, it matters whether you have intent or don't have intent. Right. But uh, we won't we won't go there. People, We're not going there. People. Yeah, we, we might later. <laughs> But anyway, so so they're uh, they're auditing people, and for you know an error in coding, where you instead of you getting twelve dollars you expected, you you actually got fifteen. They can fine you ten thousand dollars. That's crazy. So you know me, I'm sort of like uh, I'm looking for my shack in Idaho someplace. I, me too, but not Idaho. But no, <laughs> but listen, I hear you, and but at the same time, you know, we do it. We do have to for people who don't know, 
you know, we do have to chart and we do have to keep records. And I was really resistant when my preceptor started using it because I had been used to doing paper charting. Um, but I have to say, just to counterpoint you, Stu, honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. at the truth, <laughs> the truth of the matter is at the end of the thing, when you do a summary and, and the computer spits it out for you and you didn't have to do all that. I mean, there is some time saving things. And I think um, that, you know, as independent certified professional midwives, you know, for us, um, I don't think we're under as much scrutiny, but we certainly chart you, like we're under scrutiny. Do you think it? We never know. Do you think it in, interferes a little bit with your yes, eye contact? It does. And uh, my uh, client, uh, preceptor, and I had a client that came in, a new client that came in to interview with us, and she loved us, and she was so happy. But then she said, "Are you going to be on that computer all the time while?" while we're in our appointment. And it was a really, it was kind of a funny question to us because we get so used to being, having our little screen there that we, we, it, it, we forget about it, but it was really interesting to get that feedback. And it really, I think, made us both say, hey, you know, let's be more aware of that. That This is still a computer screen and people feel like it's it's something that's keeping your attention off of them or coming in between you and them. And so that was a really good piece of feedback. Well, and the other thing too is if you have a different system um, and the systems don't talk to each other or if you're on paper like I am, like recently, I, 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 a colleague of ours, Amy, I asked her for mm-hmm. the medical records on somebody that we took care of together. And my prenatal records are maybe six pages of stuff mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. usually all handwritten mm-hmm. and everything's on the same page and you can kind of glance at it. I asked her for the medical records on this person who I took care of for five days. Five right. days, 91 pages. <laughs> okay. So the thing, and, and this the same thing with Kaiser, when we get records from... One of the HMOs here in Southern oh, definitely, California definitely. on a prenatal patient. It's like um, a little book. And if you read it, uh, it's very redundant. The, yes. you, the same thing is said over and over again yes. on different pages uh, because that's the way it's printed out. Absolutely. It's not intuitively obvious. It's not doesn't seem like it would be easy to use. Right. Um, easy to look stuff up. Every lab is on its own page mm-hmm. as opposed, I mean, that's, you know, printing that stuff out is certainly a waste of trees. It is. It is. I mean, I think we have to find a better way. But again, you know, that's that brings us to the point of, you know, suing and legal situations. Um, you know, it keeping medical records is a way to to it's supposed to also be a way to protect the patient and protect the provider. Um, and you have to be very careful um, with these this charting and, and the collection of this data and. Um, it is really time-consuming, and I think that people are always looking for a way to make it less time-consuming, but at the same time, the level of accuracy um, that you need to make it kind of perfect, and it's kind of expected to be perfect, um, is is challenging. And um, I have to say that my preceptor is an amazing charter. She's teaching me so much about like the art of charting, but that's just this whole other thing. But it's important, and I think that we do want to be able to have accurate records and be able to look back at them and be able to kind of go through them and make sure that, you know, we're giving our clients, you know, really good care, and that's part of it. So, where do we find the happy medium? This is this is good. You know, Kimberly and I, we 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 do the same thing. We love each other dearly, but we actually look at <laughs> things often quite differently. And I will tell you that a very a mentor of mine once told me that the less you write down, the better you are. Um, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because on the medical records, uh, the electronic medical records charting, sometimes mm-hmm. it'll, in in order to move to the next page, you have to check that. Uh, yeah, I, I checked her urine, or I, I listened to her heart, or I did something like that, and you actually didn't. And then if something goes wrong sometime, and you have a, a good plaintiff attorney uh, saying, so when you listened to her heart that day, uh. blah, blah, blah. Oh, you didn't listen to her heart? What else on here did you not do? Sure. So, you know, the, the thing is, is that 
And then I, one of my partners back in my Century City office, he, he his handwriting is completely illegible. <laughs> so he can always, when he reviews a record for somebody, he can always say, well, this is what it's this says. Right. So, <laughs> so he's, well, that's really why you don't like electronic medical yeah. records, because it's not handwriting. It's well, a medical, box. See, but my, what happened with medical records is it's been a... It's been a bastardization of what medical records was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Medical records was meant to be a record of the patient so that if someone else came in and took over, if right. you drop dead, if you change shift, right. something else, someone would be able to come over and take over. But to write these notes for yourself right. in such detail is, I mean, what you said is right. You're writing it for the potential of a lawsuit, which is a horrible way. For, for you and I and other people to practice. It's, it's, you it's, do have to be in that. It's the world we live in. It I get it. But it in. doesn't have to be the world we live in. I agree. I think it's blown out of proportion. I think that there's much more uh, fear of, of, of liability than there is actual liability. And I think the fear of liability leads to paralysis and it leads to interventions and it leads to technology and things that would never be done otherwise that yes. leads all the way to this cascade of interventions that we all talk about and is partly responsible for our, you know, C-section rate that's so high it's, and, and yeah. are and inducing and intervening and exactly. and, and banning uh, choices, which is where I want to get to eventually today. But Good. I do want a little talk because we had a little segue earlier about the fact that your screen is so big because your <laughs> eyes are going bad. And, you know, it is, it is a bitch. I had my 60th birthday this past week. Woo-hoo! Yeah, well. Milestone. You can say that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Milestone. right behind you, dude. So Some milestones are important and some are not so important. I don't think this one's really important. <laughs> but... Um, it does feel like, you know, you know, I used to make a joke that when a woman turns 35, does she suddenly get old because now she's listed as high risk because she's advanced right. maternal age. Right. But I think when you turn 60, it suddenly does, your body does start to go out because, you know, I, I went, I rode my horse yesterday and now I can, my, my back is out. And I've been riding my horse for a really long. But that happened before you many times before you turned sixty. So you well, don't my, blame yeah, me on getting yeah. Old. Well, actually, one of uh, one of our friends and I went riding, and I got thrown off my horse a few years ago. And you remember that? <laughs> I had they were picking gravel out of my butt for uh, for days. Uh, <laughs> she, she was really sorry that happened. To yeah. You. Well, fortunately, I was with a midwife, and and she had peroxide in her in the back seat of her car. How many people drive around with peroxide in the back seat of their car? <laughs> And so, you know, she just basically poured it all over my back and we went home and she took a tweezers and was pulling out, uh, pulling out gravel. <laughs> One of life's most memorable moments. Anyway, so the body does start to go, but the mind uh, hopefully stays sharp for a long time. My dad will be 96 this year, Yay. which is a, another big blessing. And, yes. and I'm going home in a few weeks and I'm going to try to do a remote podcast with... Uh, with uh, producer John, and I'm going to get my dad on. I'm going to do. I'm going to. That's ha- amazing. I'm going to do. Uh, uh, this is my plan, John. So pay attention. I'm going to call <laughs> you. And uh, my dad is, has no technology skills, so will you and I have to figure out how we're going to do this with him. He doesn't hear real well either, so uh, we'll we'll try to get him on because I'd like to ask him some questions and uh, and pin him down and see what he thinks about what I'm doing and and what what he remembers of when I was born, what it was like. Wouldn't That's that be cool. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Yeah, we can definitely make that happen. We can just uh, do a phone thing where you call in, right? Yeah, 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 perfect. Can we put it on speaker so that he can talk and I will be clear enough that way? Um, well, we'll hook it up so you'll actually hear it through the headphones. What, what, what headphones? <laughs> oh, you mean you're going to be with him? Yeah. yeah. I thought you were going to be here. No, no, I'll be with him. Yeah, yeah, j- yeah. You can actually just record it in your iPhone. That's all you got. That's do. all I got to do. Yeah, just like you. Do you ever do the memos in the iPhone? Hell no. <laughs> it's pretty. It's literally you just hit a button. No, I'll show I, you. I'll show I you. I use how to my do calendar it. and I play Word Bubbles, and that's about it. <laughs> not you're not on the Pokemon yet. You know, I'm, re- I'm really, I'm really. Uh, oh hell no! I'm really putting myself in a box here of uh, like technology. You know, it's funny. It, it's it's funny. It's fun when you're confident in what you're doing. You can you can make uh, self-defacing jokes. It's about yourself because. 
I feel really comfortable with what I'm doing. Show him how to use the uh, memo thing. Yeah, and you'll show me how to, how to do recording today. Anyway, so that w- that was John, our producer, by the way. He's a great guy. And uh, okay, so I wanted to just oh, yeah. to say that your eyes are going, my back is going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, yeah. All that that, that happens, but that doesn't but mean. But you said w- the mind is still perky. Yeah, it is today. <laughs> it is today. Yeah. I'm not so, sure. I'm not sure why. I did have a. I did have. I also. I should tell people that I was turned sixty, and what I got myself for my birthday was my third colonoscopy. Oh, and, I know uh, you're so good, and everything was good. You're all yeah, good. I'm so nice to myself, aren't I? Yeah. Uh, well, Sunday wasn't a good day because uh, you know I spent most of the day doing you know what people do, but then <laughs> Monday morning was great, and and uh, I you know the, this propofol thing, holy moly, that's good it? stuff. Propofol. 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 Uh oh. Yeah. Is that what Michael Jackson? Yeah. Did? Oh yeah. my yeah, god. I can see why he was using it. By the way. <laughs> It works really good, it's and I awesome. had really good dreams. Oh wow! And I was, you know, I watched the little white stuff go in the tube. Yeah. And it went into my arm, and the next thing I remember was waking up in recovery room like forty-five minutes Man, to an hour later. That's a perk of for getting a colonoscopy. So you probably encourage a lot of people to go get it. Well, yeah, people should get a screening colonoscopy. I have a family history of two un- uncles who had colon cancer. Got it. So even though my dad and my mom never did, I'm still uh, going to try to be. Although my, my guy said I don't have to come back for seven years, so that's good. That's amazing. And you know what? Considering as much fast food as you eat, like you <laughs> mentioned last podcast, I was I was a little concerned, so I'm glad you got a I'm following clear bull of I'm following the Irving Fishbein diet. If he could be 96 <laughs> and be fine, I'm going to follow my dad's diet. And uh, Definitely works for your people. So it does work keep, for my people. Keep it, keep it moving. Keep so it listen, moving. you were at a birth this morning. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. I was at a uh, birth this morning. I'm a little sleepy, and I'm a little uh, groggy in my voice, but I'm really... I'm feeling, and once I'm not tired, I'll be feeling really good. Um, it was a really nice hospital, natural birth um, at a, a hospital here in L.A., Good Samaritan. And I was really, really pleased with, they kind of have a laid back attitude about normal birth, which is wonderful. I mean, that's how it should be. And I have to say the staff, for the most part, was fantastic. And well, that's because they ha- don't they have midwives that work they there? They have midwives there. And you can see the the the, the influence yeah. of the midwives on on the staff and on the on the doctors. This particular client had a doctor. And I, I was really pretty much happy with his um, his way of practicing. I mean, he, of course, I mean, one of the things I thought of was that we, we as different birth providers from different kind of um, walks of life or different kind of paradigms, when we come together, I think the beauty of us coming together and collaborating is that we can learn from each other. And I think that there was a lot of learning from each other um, last night for me, you know, just learning and looking at how they do things. I, I have so much respect for the nurses that can can put an IV in when a mom is in the middle of like a really incredible in- contraction and the nurse is so focused and she gets it and she does what she has to do, even though that mom is, um, you know, really working with the intensity of her contractions. I, I, I think that's so awesome. Their skill. Um, I, I also, so I like learning and I like watching and, and, but at the same time, you know, I was there to support the mom. I supported her as a doula this time. Um, and, and it was also important to speak up about things that the mom had wanted for her birth, that even though they were great, you know, they have one way of doing things, we have another way of doing things. And I don't want to get into too many details about this particular person's um, situation, but um, it was just interesting. One of the things that happened um, in the birth was there was a question about uh, um, doing a repair after the mom had given birth. She had a small first-degree tear. Um, it's very uh, common practice to go ahead and suture that tear uh, in the hospital. 
uh, just kind of put a couple stitches in there, even if it's just a very small tear. And what is interesting is that in midwifery care, um, if a mom has a superficial tear that approximates well, the mom, you know, we check it out and the mom kind of puts her legs together and we see that that, that tear kind of just comes back together on its own. We have a different recommendation. We'd rather not poke that area. We'd rather not put lidocaine in that area. We'd rather not do a whole lot of manipulation to that area. We'd rather have the mom just kind of give her instructions to stay in the bed for the next seven to 10 days, only getting up to go to the bathroom, um, very little walking around, um, so that 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 um, that tear can kind of approximate on its, set, on, its, on its own. And it's a lot gentler to those, that mom's tissues. On top of it, um, certain ethnicities have issues with uh, keloiding, things like that. And I think it was interesting to be sensitive about this particular patient um, not wanting any stitches. The doctor said, hey, I'll give you two stitches and we'll make your vagina look pretty. And I said, well, he you said, know, said I that? said, you know what? It doesn't oh, have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be pretty. It just has to work. Afterwards, well, okay? I will, t- I will tell so, you that I've I've evolved too. I mean, I was taught that you stitch, you know, you stitch tears, and you and, and the little lacerations maybe up near the urethra. If they're not bleeding, you leave those alone. But anything down at tw- at six o'clock, mm-hmm. you would stitch those. And now I'm letting things go uh, that are a lot would have made me uncomfortable right. ten years ago. That right. now, when you see them back at six weeks. They're fine. They're perfect. I and, mean, and you, know you, what? You, you can't even tell. Exactly. Uh, right. And the other thing is when you think about um, just all the different types of people that walk into your care, not every thing is going to be right for everybody. If a mom has an issue with keloiding, do we really want to be stitching her up and, and possibly causing her to have a greater scar in that area? It might be something you don't quite think about. Um, when you're thinking about the general public, but when we're talking about individualized care, that was important for that mom not to have any more trauma done to her pelvic floor. Yeah, um, I, and then the second piece of it, and when I look at it as a mother myself and as a as a, as a doula, as a lactation consultant, as a, a person that wants to support a healthy postpartum as well, and I look at the big picture, my recommendation to this mom to stay in the bed for seven days with, you know, and only get up and go to the bathroom and don't chase after your older child is actually very protective for her in general because it's really tempting when you have a great birth, you feel so fabulous, you feel like I, I'm, I am woman, hear me roar, and I see a lot of moms getting up doing too much postpartum, and so I think it was it's a good recommendation. Don't get the stitch. I encourage the doctor not to stitch her. She did not want the stitches. He was like very hesitant, but he was like, okay. <laughs> and um, well, good. That's and a, I told that, her she that's had a little chip, little chip in his exactly. armor. So we that both for the next time he may let something right. like that go. And it'll be interesting when she comes back and does postpartum with him. He's going to get to observe how that healing went without just putting that extra stitch in there to make her vagina if he pretty. Even, if he even remembers. If he even remembers. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have to tell you, he probably won't remember that he didn't stitch it up. Yeah. He just won't remember. And Because that's just, we don't, we don't, that's one of those things we don't remember I'll tell much. the mom, remind the doctor. Yes, that would remind. be good. And, and so interestingly enough, and it's funny, and I'm not going to get too much into her details because I'll talk to you about it later. Okay, soon, but I got but a couple questions when you, when, I'm honest. done. Oh. You are? I'm kind of done. Well, I just want to say that it was an opportunity for us all to learn from each other. Were you her doula? I was acting as her doula. Okay. Why did she choose a hospital? Because she, she's a multip and why did she you've, choose had, a hospital? you've had influence probably, over her? Probably financial. Okay. Probably financial. Um, and she def- but she definitely wanted to have a natural birth. And so she just tried to uh, kind of have the best of both world- worlds. Okay. So, and she was able to so do that. Because that, that would be one of the major barriers to most women 
who want to choose a home or out yeah. of hospital birth, birthing center birth, is the financial aspect. And of the it. thing about what she did was smart is that they had enough money. They they were able to have enough money put aside for the doula that they wanted, and that was me, which was wonderful. I had worked with them in their first pregnancy, so you know that can be a good option. And I want to say that um, that I have seen really great hospital births. And I think that what I came away with this morning when I left was, yeah, this can be a great place to give birth. But what was what was what was good about it? There was a very patient staff there. Um, there was a very a staff that was not trying to force things on her. They understood her wishes. She was clear with them and they respected her wishes. Um, they they just pretty much let her do whatever she, she wanted to do. Did she go into labor on her on her she own? She did. So um, did you keep her home? Yes. For as long as possible? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. See, that's a big advantage to having a doula who's knowledgeable and also a midwife who, theoretically, when she, once you finish your training and you have your license, you can do monitories, you can actually check her sure. and that sort of thing, keep her home sure. as long as possible. Because ultimately, as a multip, the last thing you want to do is go to the hospital too soon. Exactly. Because they get impatient and then exactly. they start meddling with you or making you making you do something or rupturing your membranes or, or doing stuff where you don't need it. I, I just on, on a quick aside, I, yes. had, I had a twin birth two days ago. Yeah. And both babies were born in the call 12 minutes apart, which was a very interesting thing for me. Both because in the call. Both were in the call. Awesome. And that's not, you know, when I did twins in the hospital, when someone was active in labor and twins, we would rupture the membranes of twin A. Twin A would come out. We'd immediately clamp the cord of twin A, and then we'd go up and rupture the bag of twin B. And here's a, a woman having her, she was having her fourth and fifth babies. It was her fourth pregnancy. And she ended up having, um, the babies came 12 minutes apart. I mean, it was, it was really beautiful. She was sitting on a birth stool. The first baby came out. She pulls it up onto her chest, and it, like within a minute or so, she's starting to go, whoa. <laughs> and she's cramping again. And that's a little unusual in my experience with twins, is usually the uterus will give the woman a break to, to sort of bond with baby A. But uh, this, she came right, right away, and the second baby was breech. Awesome. And because I don't, I'm not real comfortable doing breeches on a birth stool, I've done a few of them on there, right. we moved her to the bed, and then the and basically two pushes later. Awesome. 12, I mean, after the contractions picked up, two pushes, and out came... Baby B in the call as well, which was wow. which was really cool. We got some good pictures of that. Excellent. Um, I w- but I was commenting on this because because I think that that yes, you can have great hospital experiences, but you have to have the right practitioner. Yes, absolutely. Because even even if you have a great monitorice or great mid, uh, doula yes. and great nurses, the whole thing can be spoiled if you have a practitioner that isn't supportive of what you're talking about. The doctor Absolutely. that you work with, he's worked with midwives before. He understands the yes. process, so that's always a plus. Yes. And that's why we're putting this out there on the podcast so people can be more selective when they are choosing their hospital and choosing their practitioner to find one or find an institution that maybe does support midwifery or does support home, tr- home birth transports or even has certified nurse midwives working in the hospital uh, so that that whole mentality has been absorbed somewhat by the rest of the staff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this doctor was clear that he was influenced by midwives and he was, you know, and then you could see him put on his OB hat and then you could see him put on switch back to his uh, midwife hat. Yeah. And it was, but I mean, I so think... He's I, at that crossroads that I was at, at I was at. I was at about a decade he ago. He is at yeah. a crossroads because when I suggested that he didn't stitch, that, you know, he was like, well, just one or two stitches. And I was like, well, what if we just don't do any? And how does it approximate? And he was like, you could see the OB hat was on at that point. But in terms of, um, you know, being influenced by midwives, I mean, remember, midwives are the guardians of normal birth. And so who better to learn from. I mean, as an OB, you're coming from a, a risk-based approach. You're looking at 
as as pregnancy as this you know potentially you're looking at this pregnancy as like a problem waiting to happen or this labor yeah. as a problem waiting to happen and so why not learn from the folks whose paradigm is nor- normal birth this is normal for a mom because they don't look at you that way i mean most most ob's yeah, exactly. this this doctor does but but most ob's don't look at you that way they look at you as substandard uh uh, some sort of subset of obstetrics that isn't uh, as well trained as they are, and and it's a mistake. And uh, you know we're working to change all that. The other thing about that birth that you, you mentioned earlier was that uh, you were really impressed with the nurses because they could slap an IV in in the midst of a really intense contraction. The question is, well, you know what my question is going to be is why did they have to do it while she was contracting? <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> because if we were okay. at home, we would wait. Okay, at home, absolutely. As a matter of fact, Stu. If we were at home, she would have never gotten it because it wasn't an IV. It was a HEPLOC. It was a just in case. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. I thought she was case. getting it for like uh, getting a dose of antibiotics or something. Well, they, you know, what had happened was that they did. So she didn't really even need it. She did not need it. Uh, it was, there we go, okay. hospital protocol. This mom was like, I don't want an IV. They're like, well, our, well, you know what we can do? Our, our way we're going to meet you halfway is we'll just give you a HEP block. And when you talk about electronic uh, health records, so let's just go back that, to that for a minute because that's the other interesting part is once again, when you step into, what I'm always struck with when I do a hospital birth, even the best hospital births, is like, wow, if we were home, we wouldn't be dealing with this. Yeah. We wouldn't be putting an IV in a mom who's about to push her baby out just in case. You know, we wouldn't stop right before, she, you know, in transition and start asking her a billion questions no, that you have, have to go a, into the computer. Right, because they're already in your computer. From, right, from you know, and it's just the way that this mom's labor progressed. Um, she really, they didn't really check her in until she was in transition, even though she was at the hospital. She moved kind of quickly. So, you know, but, in, you know, it was like, they had to do this because this is part of their protocol, and that's the part that 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 makes me feel like, Ugh, you know, and and even <laughs> even even the cord cutting, you know, again, yeah, yeah. that so this, this is so funny because I was just I you know I. I haven't been in a hospital in quite a while, other than a couple of transports, but I haven't been in an operating room or pre-op area. So this colonoscopy thing that I had on Monday had some. I, I actually had some gut-twisting flashbacks that were not very comfortable for me. Got it. Like for instance, the the nurse for whatever reason was running behind, and she comes out and she calls my name, and she calls me by my first name, so it doesn't use my last name. But she's standing at the desk, and there's probably eight or nine other people in this waiting room. It's a large waiting room at a specialty surgery center here in uh, in Los Angeles. But she starts asking me my medical questions. Uh oh. All right. Even though I filled all that stuff out personally, they you know the same thing they ask you three times. Yeah. Like she'll ask you, then the pre-op nurse right. will ask you, then the anesthesiologist will ask you all the same questions. But she's asking me if I take any medication, do any do any drugs, do I do this? That uh, when was the last time I? And it's and it's like and so I answered the questions. And then I asked the secretary to bring me to send the nursing supervisor out, ah. okay? <laughs> because I, I said I wanted to. I just want to let you know that I'm a physician. And she said, "Well, this, this is." Tr-. I t- and I told her what happened. She said, "Well, it would be true even if you weren't a physician." And she's right. But I said, "But yeah, it makes me aware of the fact that that this was really uh, not kosher." I agree. If she wants to ask me all these questions, there should be a little separate room she can take me into to ask me all these questions. But all the other women and men that were in the waiting room, none of them ever got asked questions. It was just like this nurse must have been behind, so she was trying to cut corners right. doing that. But anyway, it brings me to the fact that, that I'm laying in the gurney waiting to go into the, uh, the colonoscopy room. Now, colonoscopy is certainly not a sterile procedure, right? Mm. All right? But they give me one of these boofy hats to wear. <laughs> What does okay? that have to do with your colon? Well, I'm, first of all, I got short hair. <laughs> and second of all, it's a colonoscopy. 
<laughs> so I'm wondering. So I even asked. So you know, you know me. I can't like let it go. So I <laughs> call the nurse over and I say, "So uh, tell me why I'm wearing this boofy hat." <laughs> and, and she said, "Well, actually, the colonoscopy room was taken today. Your colonoscopy is being done in the official OR, and therefore we have a policy in the OR." But it's like. Right. You're going to clean the OR after I leave right. the room, aren't you? What God a, forbid one of my hairs, hairs one of my hairs going to get comes flying off your head flying and, and goes up my up my tush. <laughs> I mean <laughs> So think about it. Oh so my I, because of a policy Exactly. She had to have a heprolock because exactly. of a policy I had to wear a boofy hat. Exactly. And that's the, <laughs> Thank you. That's such a great story and a great point and that's what I see when I go into a normal hospital delivery uh, um, a hospital delivery with a normal low-risk mom having a, a regular old vaginal birth we have a friend who's an OB I'm going to say her name Dr. Lynn Strickland and and thank you for yeah. introducing me to her yeah. I think she's so awesome but one day when after we met we were talking and she said you know when I when I, I she grew up in I think Atlanta and she says when I told my granny Granny, I'm going to go to school to be a doctor. I'm becoming a OB, a baby doctor. And she had this, her chest was all puffed out, feeling like can, they're going to feel can, like can, so impressed by me. Yeah. And she said her granny just said to her, honey, that ain't nothing new. <laughs> <laughs> what, delivering babies? Delivering babies. Yeah. I mean, and I love that because it was like a, I feel like that, that was such a beautiful thing to say. Like, I mean, imagine, you know, it's nothing new. This is not rocket science. Yeah, you got to go to 12, year, 12 years of post-high school education in order to catch a baby. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, really. So I, like, I love that, that she, that she has that. It should, be, it should be like on a plaque in her office or yeah. something as her How model to remember. How many obstetricians does it take to screw in a light bulb? <laughs> <laughs> You know? Well, it's just like how we, obstetricians, you know, our, our mainstream, when we think about Doctors and hospitals, and I'll tell you something else that happened last night was so interesting because it's like how we say that OBs or doc, the doctor delivered my baby. I mean, it just in our wording and, and, you know, in midwifery community, we say we catch the baby because the mom is delivering the baby. The baby's delivering itself and we, we might be helping out, but that baby's <laughs> going to come out. And so last night, Chuck's to pose that to last night as his mom was getting closer to feeling like pushing actually you know she was starting you know she was in transition or whatever and the nurse said to her one of the nurses that wasn't really my favorite um said to her well the doctor's almost here and you know what that means and uh, and what? i was like and what, the what, mom what, was like what does that mean what does that mean and she says well you can have your baby then oh, oh. and you can start pushing then and i said to the mom i said does your body feel like pushing yeah. And she was like, oh, you know, I don't know. Not oh, yet. you know, well, she went to another contraction. But the truth of the matter is, the, and, that, so, and, the, and the, the mom process. even said, the mom even said, oh, great. When the doctor comes, I can finally have this baby. And it's kind of like, well, it, yeah, it, it doesn't, one doesn't have anything to no, do with the other. It, it just that when you say these things, it just triggers something. Last night I did a podcast with uh, Brian Sam, and he's the, he's the birth guy from, uh, from San Antonio. And his partner, uh, Dave, asked me, um, so you've been doing home birth now for six years. How many babies have you delivered? And my answer to him was zero. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He was goes, he scratching he goes, his head? Yeah. Well, I, you know, it was, it was not, there was no video, but he, there was just a, a little pregnant pause there. <laughs> and then I said, and then Brian sort of chimed in. I said, yeah, I've assisted on 189 or whatever I, love I said. That. But, you know, and, he, and, he, I, and I said, listen, the lingo is really important how we That's talk right. and how we describe this sort of thing. Absolutely. So I, I, I've been, I've been, uh, Indoctrinated. No, no, that's the opposite. I, what's it called when you when you go to re-education camp? Like you go, 
You go off to a, get brainwashed. I've been oh, yeah. un- I've been unbrainwashed now. Yes, you've been. Yeah, there's a word for that. Maybe. Well, whatever it is. Partner but, knows what it is. But yeah, so it was somebody pretty, can somebody so, can write an email. Tell us what the word. So is the baby was born. For. It was everything was great. Everything was morning. great. Um, they cut the cord too, too fast. Soon? Too soon. Because um, skin to skin though. Well. After they did all their things, they like. Oh, to they do. took the baby to the warmer. Well, they did, Why and did they unfortunately, do that? okay. So this is what had happened was um, there was a mech when the doctor broke her oh back of waters. Oh my god! 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 The baby might swallow the mech, and so you know it was a whole thing like, oh, we're gonna have to do this. We're gonna have to suction exactly, and you know it was very light amount. It was just anyway. Again, that's when the you know I and. The physician was concerned that the baby might aspirate some meconium, and so they were going to do this deep suctioning. Well, the good news was, the bad news was, he said, for that reason, we can have to cut the cord right away. And I said, well, can't they just suction the baby on the mom? And he says, oh, hmm, I don't know. So you said that Good Samaritan is sort of a, 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 a natural birth-friendly hospital, okay. and you're still fighting for this sort of crap? Okay, so baby got checked out at the warmer oh after it was God. all said and done. Unfortunately, her cord got cut right away that was made me sad and uh they did the thing but the cool thing was that when the pediatrician looked at the baby he was like this baby doesn't need anything and that was kind of a waste to me because unfortunately the baby was already off the cord now so but the good news is they didn't do anything crazy the pediatrician was very hands-off he was like the baby needs nothing actually the recommendations from our uh, neonatal resuscitation now is doesn't uh, they say don't use a delay. They don't want to do anything. Right. Don't do anything. Let the baby do so, its thing, unless the baby telling you it needs exactly. help. Exactly, and the baby didn't need any help, so that right. was unfortunate. But eventually, mom got the baby back. But they don't know skin. that stuff in the hospital. You know, as it's, matter of fact, the OBs there don't. They don't, don't take NRP. They don't take NRP, so right. they don't know. And I knew, and at the and I didn't. I just I don't know. But they do soon. take two hour seminars on sexual harassment. <laughs> okay, so they know sexual harassment, but they don't know unfortunately neonatal, neonatal and I resuscitation. Felt, I felt saying at that moment do you know the latest nrp says do not do that i didn't know i just was like you know sometimes you're picking you, your battles you you're picking yeah, your battle you're the doula and if, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just like, you gotta follow the doula code of honor i gotta follow or you'll be or you'll be escorted out by the doula police <laughs> you know <laughs> well, some did, hospitals did, have doula police i did you know? get to do perineal uh uh warm compresses i was shocked <laughs> I, I almost I, I know oops let me be quiet but i did not catch the baby <laughs> that's so funny Oh yeah. God! I mean, it's funny, but it's it is, is sort of sad because they meddled with uh, the whole process, Everything and there was, was absolutely no reason to do. It. Here's a normal woman having her second baby, all right, with no problems, and they created right. an issue. Right. Baby's poop inside all the time has nothing to do with meconium aspiration. Right. right. All right. Right. But he, you know, it's it, again, it's checking those boxes, they don't covering know that. your behind. Um, what are the standard operating standard operating procedures of this hospital? Am I going to get in trouble as a doctor if I don't do the regular protocol? Even though in this individual case it wasn't needed, you know, it's it's that, and that's what gets in the way. And I know, you know, I'm, I, I it was a great birth. I'm I'm happy, but at the same time, um, there are still things that get in the way of 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 that women wanting to have like a hands-off experience for sure. And it was, it was important for me, for instance, when the baby was almost ready to crown and I think it can be really empowering for some moms as they're getting down to that last part of pushing to kind of put their fingers inside their vagina and just actually feel their baby's head because it kind of, sometimes you just don't know what you're pushing. After oh yeah. We did that. That was the same thing we did with the twin birth. And actually we had the husband 
supporting yes. the parent, uh, you know, awesome. with the with the midwife's hand on top that of the husband. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I was supporting the parent. Well, it's always good to end a podcast with a uh, happy birth story. Yes, and I appreciate you being here this morning because I knew that you were working and you made it over here. Yes, I did. Just in time. Thank you. So, uh, but you probably had you could navigate with your uh, oversized phone. <laughs> It talks to me. Yeah. No, it talks to you. It probably, uh, it probably it drove the car. It probably actually. drove the car and serves dinner too. <laughs> All right. So anyway, this is uh, this has uh, been a great. Uh, it's good to have Kimberly back, and she's going to be with us now regularly. Yeah. Uh, this is it's until Stu kicks me out. No, Stu's never going to kick you out right. because then Stu would get in trouble <laughs> with the birth community because <laughs> you're, you're more popular than I am. <laughs> anyway, this has been podcast number ninety-five of Doctor Stu's podcast. We're going to come up with a title. I'm not sure exactly what it will be yet, but we'll work on that. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, you can, again, catch us on iTunes or drstuespodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Dr. Fishbein. That's Dr. Fishbein or askdrstu at gmail.com. Uh, you can check me out again at birthinginstincts.com where you can find Kimberly at kimberlydurden.com. Uh, again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you on podcast number 96.